But the opposite of a childlike spirit is a cynical spirit. And cynicism is a dominant spirit today. If I'm not careful, I can become cynical. I can get an answer to prayer and think, well, that would have happened anyway. Anybody ever had that thought? Like you pray about it, ah, that could have happened anyway. That's a bit of a cynical spirit. And here's the problem with a cynical spirit. It questions the active goodness of God on our behalf. It's a low-level doubt that opens the door for bigger doubt. Cynicism can cause you to lose your childlike faith, making you unable to move towards your heavenly father in prayer. So cynicism has an effect on our prayer life. And if Satan can stop you from praying, then he will rob the fruit of praying from your life. You know, what's interesting is the very first words we have recorded of Satan in Scripture, they're actually cynical. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Reading from Genesis 3.5, here's what Satan says. For God knows, he's talking to Adam and Eve, for God knows that when you eat of it, so eat of the tree of, of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's a cynical statement. Satan is suggesting that God's motives are cynical. In essence, he tells them God has not been honest about the tree in the middle of the garden. The command not to eat from the tree, it isn't for your protection. God wants to protect himself from rivals. He's jealous. He is projecting an image of caring for you, but he really only has an agenda to protect himself. God has two faces. This is what Satan is saying to Adam and Eve in that statement. It's the original gossip column. Satan projecting he knows what's going on behind closed doors. And if we fall for it, and in fact, we oftentimes do fall for it time and time again. And does he still use this scheme today? A gossip column? Yes. Papers write about it. Absolutely. So may we guard our hearts and minds. So what I want to cover this evening is the value of trusting God. To maintain a childlike faith, we must address our critical and cynical hearts. So in short, to pray effectively, we must learn to trust again. So the first point tonight is this, is that to pray effectively, we must learn to trust again by understanding cynicism. To pray effectively, we must learn to trust again by understanding cynicism. Cynicism begins, oddly enough, with too much of the wrong kind of faith with naive optimism or foolish confidence. This is how cynicism starts. And at first glance, genuine faith and naive optimism, they appear identical since both foster confidence and hope. They look a lot alike, genuine faith and naive optimism. But the similarity is only surface deep. Genuine faith comes from knowing my heavenly father loves, enjoys, and cares for me. That's where genuine faith comes from. Naive optimism is groundless. And no culture is, no, uh, is more optimistic than the culture that we live in. Initially, this was grounded in faith in God, which leads to can-do boldness and daring action, the hallmarks of Western civilization. But in the 19th century, that optimism shifted its foundation from the goodness of God to humanity. So it began to shift in saying, we've got faith in God, so now we've got faith in people. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in others. This is where the shift happened. Disney World, the icon of naive optimism. It promises that we'll find Prince Charming or Sleeping Beauty and live happily ever after. But optimism 
rooted in the goodness of people collapses when it confronts the dark side of life. So if your faith is in people, eventually that's going to fall short. The discovery of evil for most of us is highly personal. We encounter the cruelty of friends in junior and senior high. In college, princes turn out to be less than charming in beauties, less than kind. If you have children, you learn that they can be demanding and self-centered. All of this are the effects of the fall of man set in motion by a cynical comment by Satan. And here's the problem with naive optimism. Shattered optimism sets us up to fall into weariness and cynicism. You'd think we'd just be less optimistic, but no. We go from seeing the bright side of everything to now seeing the dark side of everything. We feel betrayed by life. Because at some point, each of us comes face to face with the valley of the shadow of death. We can't ignore it. So we either give up and distance ourselves from the valley, or we actually learn to walk with the good shepherd through the valley. Without the shepherd Jesus, we are alone in a meaningless story. Weariness and fear leave us feeling overwhelmed, unable to move. Cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. In the combination, it shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life, going through the motions. But this is not the life God has for us. It's not the life that God has for you. So how do we overcome naive optimism? How do we face the valley of the shadow of death? How do we walk with the good shepherd? Because we must learn to follow Jesus out of cynicism. That's what we have to do. So to pray effectively, we must learn to follow Jesus out of cynicism. That's the second point this this evening. To pray effectively, we must learn to follow Jesus, the good shepherd, out of cynicism. And so Jesus actually offers six cures, six ways that we can walk with Jesus out of cynicism. And the first one is, be innocent but wise. Be innocent but be wise. Jesus does not ignore evil. He sends the disciples out, and here's what he tells them. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The overwhelming temptation when faced with evil is to become a wolf, to become cynical and to lose your sheep-like spirit. Jesus tells us to instead be innocent, but be wise. Jesus keeps intention, wisdom about evil, with a robust confidence in the goodness of God the Father. So there's a tension that exists. We know evil exists, but we also know that God is greater. Praise God. So you don't have to distance yourself with an ironic, critical stance. You don't have to shut down your heart in the face of evil like pretend it doesn't exist. You can engage it. So instead of naive optimism, Jesus calls us to be wise, yet confident in our Heavenly Father. A praying life is a cautious optimism. Caution because of the fall, optimism because of redemption. And the second cure for cynicism is to learn to hope again. So the first is be innocent but be wise, and the second is learn to hope again. Because cynicism kills hope. The world of the cynic is fixed and immovable. The cynic believes that we are swept along by forces greater than we are. Prayer feels pointless as if we're talking to the wind, but hope begins with the heart of God. As you grasp what the Father's heart is like, how he loves to give, 
then prayer will be, feel completely natural to you. When you pray, you're touching the hopeful heart of God. So to effectively pray, we need to learn to hope again. And the third cure we have, it goes back to what I shared yesterday, you need to cultivate that childlike spirit. And how did I say you do that? You ask like a child, which is to keep on asking. You ask for the impossible. You believe like a child, a child who dreams. Children have dreams, and so we need to learn to dream again. And then we need to learn to play again, that we have a conversation with God, but we also take time to listen to him. So we have a childlike faith. And the fourth cure is to cultivate a thankful spirit. We cultivate a thankful spirit. In fact, nothing undercuts cynicism more than a spirit of thankfulness. You begin to realize your whole life is a gift. Thanking God restores the natural order of our dependence on him because as you begin to have a thankful heart, as you begin to say, God, thank you for this, thank you for this, thank you for this, it begin, you begin to look through the lens of the, the life that God has for you. To be thankful is to be drawn into fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, into their enjoyment of one another, of life, and of people. And the fifth cure is cultivating repentance. Fifth cure is cultivating repentance. Repentance restores integrity to life. It causes you to live a life of authenticity. Because otherwise, we have a public image and a private reality, and when you have this kind of split personality, you can't help but be cynical because you begin to look at other people thinking that they live in that way as well. But that's not an accurate view of life and people. The repentant, the pure of heart, they begin with seeing through themselves. They confront their own evil, and by cultivating a lifestyle of repentance, the pure of heart develop integrity, and their own split or fractured personality is healed. By beginning with their own impurity, they avoid the critical negative stance of cynicism. By following Jesus, we don't have to be captured by a cynical spirit. We don't have to be defined by the culture in which we live. To pray effectively, we must learn to follow Jesus out of optimism. So I've given you five ways, and the sixth one is the final point. That to pray effectively, we must learn to develop an eye for Jesus. To pray effectively, we must learn to develop an eye for Jesus. That's the sixth cure. Cynicism looks in the wrong direction. It looks for the cracks in Christianity instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. I want to say that again. That's important. Here's what cynicism does. It looks for the cracks in Christianity instead of looking for the presence of Jesus. I'll tell you, this is a big reason why on our Connect cards, I have both things to celebrate and things to pray about. I want people looking for the presence of Jesus because when you see things that we're celebrating, Jesus is there. And I want people to have an eye to see Jesus. It's an orientation of the heart. With a little conscious reflection, it's easy to see the beauty of Jesus. I was thinking about this, just trying to think in my own life because, you know, we might see that, we might look for it on a Sunday morning. But what about your day to day? Uh, we were in Gatlinburg for a couple of days with Shelley's extended family. Uh, and I was just trying to think through the course of the day, you know, just on a normal day, which I don't know if Gatlinburg's a normal day, not really. But, but still, just in the course of the day, just thinking about moments. So like we, uh, one of the things we did while we were there is we went out on a go-kart track. And so Lucas, our youngest, was racing on a go-kart track. 
And, and so we got to, myself and then one of Shelly's cousins or a couple of her cousins were there. And, and so we were just cheering Lucas on. And so Lucas does this move where he swerves to the right and swerves to the left and passes somebody. And so one of Shelly's cousins is like, Lucas, you're my hero. And of course, Lucas is beaming, you know. Something as simple as that. Jesus is there. Jesus, the presence of Jesus is in those moments of everyday life. So do you have an eye to see where Jesus is active in your life? It's the simple things. Instead of focusing on other people's lack of integrity or their split personalities, we need to focus on how Jesus is reshaping the church to be more like himself. Hopefully we're aware of that. We're all, from glory to glory, we're all being worked on from the moment of salvation, even before salvation, until we see him again in heaven. So we know that Jesus is reshaping the church, so we need to view the body of Christ with grace. In fact, Paul delights in the influence of Jesus in people's lives. We see this throughout Scripture. It's at the heart of his prayers in Scripture. Uh, even the messed up uh, Corinthian church, Paul is thankful. Here's what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you. This is 1 Corinthians 1.4. And here's what he then does. He addresses their permitting of incest, suing one another in court, and getting drunk during communion. And you know what he say? I thank God always for you. How does somebody say that? He's not looking for the cracks in Christianity. He's looking for the presence of Jesus in people's lives. By keeping his eye on the present work of Jesus, Paul is not overcome by evil, but he overcomes evil with good. That's one of the other scriptures Paul writes about. Even as God has extended grace to Paul, so Paul extends grace to the Corinthians. Even as God has extended grace to us, may we have a heart to extend grace to others. To pray, we must follow Jesus out of cynicism.